We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program from the blacklist, Harry Lennox. Harry, how are you? And uh, thanks for stopping by today. I'm great, Neil. Thanks for having me. I'm eager to talk to your listeners. Absolutely. Now, thinking about things, Harry, how did you shift when the pandemic hit? Because I guess we're all still in that mode, you know, weird how we're doing interviews, you know, via Zoom or virtually. How did you make that shift or was it just same old same old for you when it happened well i don't think it was the same old for me it was you know really quite a, a surprise um, but i actually tried to use the time i don't usually ask i wrote a script and uh and i got a little bit better at the piano and i and i tried to be productive during that time waiting for this to happen and let's start up the show again absolutely and did you in a lot of ways did you make any changes in your life and like trying to get out of your comfort zone and even and during that time especially when things were slow no you know that was, that was sort of the unique uh thing about this pandemic because you couldn't really get out there i mean anything that's in this apartment that we were in is is my comfort zone so yeah i wasn't, wasn't able to sort of take up any new hobbies that i might just because we were more or less shut in but uh you know, but I got a little deeper in, 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 in those things that I had already sort of began to study, uh, and, and that was that was good. That was a change. Absolutely, and it, and we all learn from this, and it, I think it feels great to be back, right? To be back having a season and shooting again, it's got to feel great for you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like I, you know, we were chomping at the bit to get back, uh, but we wanted to do it in a safe way. But yes, I think you know the word is appropriately at the holiday time that we're grateful grateful to be back and excited to, to start creating again exactly and i think that that's what the great thing is if you do things in the correct manner and you really are safe in anything any business or any organization or any type of situation if you really are cognizant of the fact of your actors and everyone that works on set you can do this. And I think that makes you happy because at first you're probably like, oh my gosh, how are we going to be able to do this again? Yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, you know, I, I think one of the great things of the entertainment industry, it's a little like the military, the way it adjusts, it adapts, it gets, uh, it gets things done even when they're difficult. That's what we do. Is we find a way, and uh, the old acting, of course, is the show must go on. And we're getting a chance to show how the show can go on in this brand new era. So let's talk about for people that have not watched The Blacklist. And I think what you love about the days now on demand, you can catch up at NBC. You can go ahead and go and uh, check out other seasons of it and, you know, catch up in different ways. But tell us about your character, Harold Cooper. Well, Cooper is uh, people seems to refer to him frequently, and I don't think he sees himself this way, per se, but as the moral bellwether of the show. He's sort of the, the, uh, the judge on the kind of ethical level of what the task force is doing and what the members of the task force are doing, that task force is doing. From Elizabeth King to himself, to the people, to the person that we work with, who is the most problematic, and that's Red Rangers. He is the one through whom to whose prison we see all of those personalities uh, behaving. How do we judge them? Are they doing something good for that reason? 
doing something bad for good reason. You know, these kinds of uh, very base-level questions, I think, are seen through the character Cooper. And, and, I, and uh, he's also a pretty good credit solver. He knows at least how to delegate responsibilities to people to get that job done. He has a great eye for talent. He uh, understands the nuances that are working for and against ideas such as justice and law. So I think that he's a, a necessary component. I like to refer to him as the egg and cake. Uh, you don't taste him with him, per se, but without him uh, sort of binding all of these elements together, it doesn't really happen. <laughs> That's so, so true. And uh, this character, how do you think it's evolved since you were started with the show? Well, I think that the character evolves uh, just by nature of, of, of what this relationship is that we found out in the perception of the pilot. We hadn't heard or seen from Red Rennington in 10 years. Uh, but now all of a sudden, rather than sort of being by the books, uh, you know, crime fighters, we covered a wrestle with all kinds of complicated ideas about what justice is. Yes. And so I think that we seem to have gotten smarter, um, more you know, in some ways more imbalanced in terms of what he thought was right and what was wrong. And, and so I think he's got he's a bigger uh, concept of it now. And so I, 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 I like him for, for his injury. I think that he doesn't glide in about who he is, but whether he's not a, whether he's a good man or not, I don't think he has that idea about himself. I just think that he's trying to um, contribute to the security of the nation. That should be a nation of law. Yes. It's amazing to look at the shades of gray when you're trying for justice, right? That's the hardest challenge I think that your character has to look at is what's best for the team versus what really is fair. That's right. You know, I like to point out that the top of the Supreme Court engraved in there is something that says, I think equal justice under the law. But those are two, those are not necessarily the same thing. And I, I think what is obviously what is legal is not always just. Something we're dealing with now as a nation in many ways. And what is just is not always legal. Yes. It's not always met by the law. It's something that, that, uh, that should be done, you know, by the society as a whole. So it, it's a very, it is very nuanced. How, I, do, how do we balance this out? Exactly. How do we do that? And see, I love you making that perspective of today in our country where we're so divided and yet we have a lot of the same beliefs. We just have a different interpreting of them. And it becomes a situation where if we all would just get a chance to sit down and have a cup of coffee or talk and really look at what our issues are, we really are not the extremes of both sides and of this craziness. We really want our country to be the best it can be. And that your character goes through that process as well of understanding, well, what's going to serve the team and versus, versus what's going to serve justice. And that's hard to really interpret. I agree. Uh, I couldn't agree with, with you more. I think that, you know, people will be shocked at how well they can get along if they would just listen to each other. It's, it's actually have a chance to see where people 
are. I think that everybody will think that they're doing the right thing. We may disagree greatly on whether or not that's right, but they think it is right. And, and so, I, you know, I go back to this idea that uh, I don't know where I, I heard it from, but there's this museum of tolerance that is in Los Angeles, California, and I think that a whole society like ours uh, has to get back to the idea of tolerance. You know, you have to, and, and I think we forget that because everybody's so passionate about what they think yes. is uh, a moral right. It's really a matter of tolerating each other, really. I mean, you think of what we're talking the political side, but think about sports. I don't know who, who your favorite NFL team is, Harry, but when Sunday comes, I put my Steeler and some Steeler fans can't like differentiate between a Browns fan or a Ravens fan or a Patriots fan before Brady left. Well, we don't have to worry about the Patriots anymore, but meaning that we would hate them so much. And yet if we really sat down and had coffee with them, we're more alike than we think just because of our allegiance. We are, and and you wouldn't believe. I guess the older we get, the more mature hopefully we get compared to when we were young, where our lives would be over at 21, 22 when we saw a loss of a certain Pittsburgh's team. But now at forty-seven, I'm a little less. Well, I'm not going to take it as badly a loss as a Super Bowl. I even remember my twenties seeing Neil O'Donnell blow that Super Bowl against Dallas because we could have beat the Cowboys, and that would have been one of the most biggest upsets in NFL history. And we just. We just couldn't pull it out. So, all right. So, it's very interesting. Is, yes, exactly. Now, thinking about it, Harold, I mean, uh, Harry, about Harold Cooper, who else would you say your character in your career, you've played so many characters, who would you say he's most alike to? Who Cooper is most alike to Yeah, to other characters you've played in your career as an actor. Hmm. I think that uh, I did a show a few years back maybe like 16, what was called, what was called Commander in Chief. And I played the chief of staff to the first female president. And so insofar as that this is, you know, dealing with Washington and politics in some way, or at least, you know, bureaucrats and that, I think that Cooper has a lot more in common with that character than anyone, although maybe a little bit too, with Commander Locke, except for, you know, Commander Locke was not a believer. He was like a Roman centurion who, who didn't believe until uh, he became a witness. Uh, Cooper is a believer. He believes in the goodness, certainly, of I think, of the hood of the team. Uh, and I think he knows what the virtue is in dealing with Red Redding. So I would say, uh, on a kind of outside uh, function, Cooper and Jim, uh, what is that character from that say? Jim Gardner uh, from Commander. Interesting. And when you talk about Commander Locke, as I'm, I'm a Matrix nerd. I mean, how how lucky are you to have a show like The Blacklist? After you know, you could just be going and doing uh, different cons before the uh, whole uh, pandemic. Just being uh, Commander Locke, right? You could just spend the rest of your life just because of how many people are Matrix fans, right? Yeah, 
Exactly. And, and that is, and you're very fortunate to be part of the blacklist. A uh, real quick update. What can we expect this season compared to other seasons? What would you say the change without giving anything away? Well, I think that the change uh, is that we'll start off knowing this, that Elizabeth Keene has made the faithful decision to, uh, to fall into league with the enemy of Red Redding. That's something that she hasn't done before. But that's a betrayal. Uh, certainly on a personal level and familial level with him. Uh, and by extension, it, it, it fits us against her. So, and I think that's really, that's really the first time that's happened. Whereas when she's gone rogue in the past, uh, she was still doing it for understandable reasons. You know, certainly uh, understandable to her, and we, we got that. But this time, this is a problem. And, and, uh, and, and this is going to really split us in a way that we haven't been from her before. All right. Well, fabulous. Everyone needs to tune into the blacklist November 13th, the season premiere. And I appreciate you coming by Harry. And we kind of really talked about a lot of different things, but I think we definitely have one thing in common. We love the Steelers. Here we go. Steelers undefeated. And we're going to beat the dolphins record. We're going to go undefeated. I, I feel it. 2020 is the year. And hopefully we get the super bowl and go undefeated. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be so great. I, I can't. Uh, I can't tell you how happy that would be. We'll hope. Let's see. We got to have some big hope in twenty twenty. So thanks again for stopping by, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Neil. All right, take care. You're listening to Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nasani. Dave, how are you, bro? And uh, you just came back from Mexico, right? Yep, Acapulco. It's still there. Still as beautiful as ever. You're still there? No, I said it is still oh, there. <laughs> oh, you, you could just say it's still there. But uh, we have an amazing guest, and so what I'm excited about is, again, I got to chat with her before, but we really didn't talk about the Fresh Prince. And that's my favorite thing in the world, the French Prince, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So introduce our guest. Everybody remembers Daphne Maxwell Reed, the iconic TV mom of the 90s, from her three episodes as Aunt Vivian on The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Well, Daphne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dave. Nice to be back. Absolutely. Yes, she remembers back if she'll say, let me see. I We did an interview about 10 o'clock at night, Daphne, and so I, I had to kind of go back into things. How have you survived the pandemic? You know, you, you were very creative doing so many different things with art and everything. Update our listeners on how you dealt with uh, once the pandemic hit. Well, once the pandemic hit, it was not uh, much different for me 
in my creative sphere. It really canceled my travel around the world, which I was planning. <laughs> so that kind of put a crimp in that. But uh, I spent the time being creative and exploring new avenues of creativity. I started making masks, and I continued to make some of the, um, the clothes that I've been making for my custom clients. And I've just been enjoying thinking about what's going on in the world and trying to help make it happen better. <laughs> All right, Dave, first question for Daphne. Well, Daphne, uh, first of all, I, how did you first get the job of Fresh Prince? Because you weren't the first uh, Aunt Viv, right? Correct. So how did that happen? Uh, I, was asked, I was asked to um, audition for the show when it first was getting started. And uh -huh. I had just finished working three series back-to-back -back for about four years. And my husband and I decided we needed a break and we were going to move to Virginia. And we bought a farm and we were ready to go. And they said, oh, we've got an audition for you with a um, young rapper, a half hour sitcom. I said, bye bye. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got home to Virginia, I had a lovely time. And then the fall season started. I turned on the TV. And there was this cute show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I said, oh, I missed that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. But three nope. years later, nope. they called Nobody. me to be having an audition for you for Aunt Vivian at The Fresh Prince. I didn't ask why. I didn't ask anything. I said, I will be on a plane. And I came <laughs> and auditioned for it. And it took two weeks. It was about five different callbacks for different groups of people and um, I fell in love with James Avery on about the second audition and we clicked and I guess it showed because they hired me and I was a really happy girl <laughs> <laughs> um, nobody knew who uh, Will Smith was at that time was that his really first uh, breakthrough he was a rapper yeah. and he had done yeah, I didn't know that yeah yeah. Oh, he was a very a uh, very good rapper. I mean, he, very good rapper, yeah. and he had had a couple of uh, hits with Jazzy Jeff. Yeah, that were very popular. Wow. But I wasn't interested in working with a young rapper. Yeah. But he bloomed into a fine, fine actor. But it took some time, and it was wow. Uh, okay. Janet Hubert Witten who broke him in. I guess she was the first Aunt Viv, so she had to get through. His learning how to be an actor. Sure. Listened very well to uh, James Avery, who gave him lots of lessons and support. And he bloomed beautifully because he put his whole heart into it like he does everything else. Interesting. So when you start working with him, what was your... So you said you didn't want to work with an, a rapper at first in your mindset because of what rappers were at that time. Some of them, right? And, and say, oh, he's not a trained actor. What were your thoughts process when you finally started to see that this Will's going to be pretty special working with them? Well, I could see that by the time I got there, he had bloomed and I could see from his work ethic from the very first show, I saw somebody who put 180% into rehearsals wow. and had a lot of energy and he, he had a light about him. 
and you mm. could tell that he was going to be successful at whatever he put his foot into. And he was smart. We had lots of philosophical discussions and stuff during rehearsals. I mean, we just used to sit on the couch <laughs> and the whole yeah. family just sat there and chit chatted while they were deciding where to put cameras. And he was a very bright child. <laughs> I mean, he was interested in learning about all sorts of things. And anybody with that degree of curiosity is somebody I'm willing to give time to. <laughs> yes, definitely. Dave, so you weren't a, fran- a fan of Fresh Prince from Bel of, of Bel Air then? Oh, I was. No, Dave, I'm asking Dave. I know you were a fan, definitely. Oh. What about you, Dave? What was the question? I'm sorry. I said, were are, are, were you a fan? I was such a huge fan. Oh, big fan. Okay. Not only am I a fan, but my, my daughter's a fan, and her daughter's a fan. I mean, they're, they're still on TV. So yes. You're just generation third after generation. generation. Yeah, we're the third generation now. Thanks, you guys, for keeping it going. Now, <laughs> now, when you th- when you had to take the, the, the gig as Aunt Viv, from Aunt Viv from the first, how did you kind of change the role so that it was more you in a way of having to change the that role to you i didn't have to do anything because uh they hired me to be my aunt vivian that's what i wanted to ask yeah so i wasn't trying to be like her i was just being part of a family and they launched me that way and that's the way i got to play it that's what they wanted me to play or if they didn't want it, they didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everyone accepted you, huh? And they your did. role. It was, it was very funny how they just accepted the change with Jazzy Jeff coming in saying, you know, you look different since you had that baby. And <laughs> Will just looked at the camera and shrugged and it was never spoken of again. Wow. And I think that was clever. I think that was classy. And I really had nothing to do with the former Aunt Vivian. I didn't know her. I didn't I was not replacing her. I was going to work. <laughs> so I they never spoke about why she wasn't there and I never asked. How uh amazed are you looking at all the cast that's still alive and looking at their success? after Fresh Prince. Are you just proud of that in a lot of ways? Oh, gosh, yes. It's like watching your family bloom. It's it's a beautiful thing. And they were young. This was 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. They have really bloomed into wonderful human beings as they started out. And we all support each other and the things that we're doing. Karen's busy being a producer and a creator and a writer and a mom. And we go to weddings, we go to births, we go to funerals. We are a family. We are really a family. And I feel as proud of Will as I do of my own son. Wow. Mm. How, how often are you in contact with him? We are in contact a lot. Hmm. Um, we, we kind of, we just always are in contact. <laughs> well, how cool is that? And now you've it's got a wonderful. 30-year reunion coming up. Tell us about that. It was fabulous to all be in the same place at the same time. <laughs> I'm sure. And uh, to see the set recreated and to just to talk about things that 
we hadn't talked about in a long time or reminisced about things that happened. Some of the things we knew about, some of the things were surprises to us. And we'll produce this reunion. So he had a lot of surprises for us, starting with we were not allowed to talk to each other when we got to L.A. So he put everybody in a separate hotel. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And he didn't want to save it Oh, he didn't want us reunionizing before we actually got to set. That shows how talented Will is because he's been behind the camera, not just in front of the camera. Right. He's got an incredible uh, production company, Westbrook, and Mm. he did a marvelous job with this. And we spent the day laughing and crying (laughs) and dancing. And you're going to love all the surprises that we're going to bring for you. See, and I, I can't wait for that. And remember when they're talking about a reboot, not just the reunion, is there a possibility that can happen? There will be something that is a different take on the Fresh Prince. Will has um, gone into a partnership with a young man who did a dramatic version of the Fresh Prince that caught Will's attention. So Westbrook and this new young man are going to be producing that new show. I don't know whether it's going to be called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or what they're going to call it, but it is basically um, the continuation, dramatic form of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Alright, good, Dave. Next so was, the first, good. was the Next. first Aunt Viv invited to the reunion as well? There are many surprises. <laughs> you can't say that. No, Dave, reunion. you got to know. We can't spoil <laughs> things. See, I would never ask that, Daphne. So you can go and give him a, a little slap on the wrist. I can't answer. Yeah, I can't. So. He, you can't answer that. I, no, I understand. I have no answer. <laughs> if they put him in separate rooms, you don't. You can't say anything till they, you know, they went out and did this. Uh, did you film this before COVID or after COVID? This was during COVID. Oh, we wow. filmed this in uh, September. Holy cow. So there were, we abided by so many protocols. We were quarantined. We were tested. We were masked. Everybody was masked and gloved. And it was very well done. I'm but sure it was. It For took sure. a lot. <laughs> it took a lot. All right, Dave. You know, yeah. you're famous in your own right. I mean, you've been breaking barriers for a long time. Uh, first American, uh, first African American homecoming queen at University uh, Northwestern University, and and uh, first African American woman to appear on the cover of Glamour. Uh, tell us, tell us some of your accolades. Oh, you just did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did a lot of first. Yeah, but there's many more, actually. Oh, there've been a lot, but it's because I was in the right place at the right time and the opportunity arose and I took advantage of it. And I had a lot of blessed good luck. You're you're so humble, so, Daphne. That's what I'm impressed I about can't you. Take credit yep. for that kind yeah, of it's stuff. the right place, right time, opportunity. You yeah. talked about, "Hey, I never thought this would happen and bam, I was there and I was like, "Holy cow." And what an opportunity! Yeah. What an opportunity! Now, looking at you know specifically enough, we can't say who's going to be on this. Meaning, who all shows up and different things. How have the fans reached back out to you again once they heard about the reboot? I mean, the, the reunion. It's been very exciting, and as um, Dave has said, 
we're on our third generation. So we've got folks my age who grew up with the show and their kids and their grandkids. And those grandkids are getting older too. So I think we have an iconic show and it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's great. So winning combination there. You can't go wrong with Will Smith anyway, no matter what he touches. That's right. I'm really you, proud of him. You've got five books. Is that true? I do. I have published five books. Wow. What are they about? I am a photographer. And my first four books are about um, what I see and what I want you to see in the world. And they are all about doors. And I like the, uh, since my degree is in interior design and architecture, I focus oh. on the details of architecture. And I'm drawn to doors. I like the craftsmanship. I like the colors. I like what nature has done to the door. She's so creative. I, yeah, I remember all that. Doors, huh? yeah. yeah, it's all on doors. And Gone I, around the world? Gone around the world. Yep, yep, four books. And she's a, um, yeah. mm-hmm. One of them is... is in Cuba. Wow. And I did the whole west side of Cuba in about a week and a half and published an entire book on Cuba 2015. It was when it was open for a little while. Yes. <laughs> It'll be open up again probably. <laughs> it will be open again. It should be. The the amazing thing was looking at the culture of the Cuban people and seeing that they make art out of anything because they have so little, it doesn't stop their creativity. It, it, they are just an amazing people. And the architecture and the doors of Cuba are fascinating. And I wanted to, when I speak about my doors books, when I do um, talks and things about my publishing, I want to encourage people to look at the details in their life. The things that that are between uh, where you started and where you think you got to go. You have an A and a B, but in between A and B, there's a whole lot going on that I don't want people to miss because it makes the journey to be very, very rich. So I'm encouraging people to notice details. And I started with doors. And then my fifth book is a cookbook, which is a compilation of recipes and stories that I've just gotten gathered uh, for the past 40 years, and a mini memoir of my life growing up and why. Wow, you have a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. That's oh, great. Oh, but then I've got a design line of coats that I make, and oh, I, I do a lot of different things. She's so busy. Now, yeah. go ahead, Dave. So you're like Martha Stewart and Wonder Woman all rolled up into one. <laughs> I don't fly. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. Where, um, and then Dave has the final question. Where, uh, when is the premiering, the uh, reunion? When's that coming up? It's, we think it's uh, around Thanksgiving between, uh, sometime a week before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend, I don't know. They have not given us a, a date, so... I'm with you. <laughs> All right, so we'll have to find out the and so we'll again we'll have to find out by keep checking on your socials. B O. Yes. H B O. Max. My socials. 
so it's I'll let you know. so is it HBO Max? Is that where it's going to premiere? Yes. Okay, interesting. I didn't read. I, it read differently to me. I thought that was where it, uh, I had been. Ha- I had the Pretty Little Mo- Liar Moms Club. They I had, they have a podcast. I had them on my show about how you uh-huh. know the Pretty Little Liars is is again on, and they were their big sponsor was HBO Max. So we'll say again, thank you to HBO Max. Check your yes. local listings out, the HBO Max, and then also check out our social media. But Dave has a great question for you because, Daphne, you've lived an unbelievable life in different ways, but I know that you have had been touched by caregiving in some way. So, go, Dave, go ahead and answer, ask your question. Yeah, well, like most people, I was just a normal guy. I own a gas station in Castaic Lake, California. And then my, my wife started complaining to me uh, right about the time we were in the emptiness phase of life. We had all this freedom and traveling. She had this headache for three days. It wouldn't go away. Well, unfortunately, it turned into a stroke, and she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And, you know, the next couple of years was really rough. Uh, ever since then, we've reinvented ourselves. Our love has been rekindled. And now we travel all over the world just sharing our message to caregivers how to stay alive because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. And so I started this website, caregiverdave.com, to help caregivers you know, not only survive caregiving, but to thrive and not burn out. So my question to you is how has caregiving touched your life? Because it doesn't matter who you are, eventually it's going to touch your life in some way. Well, I guess the um, most dramatic caregiving that I got to do was after my mother had a stroke, I had to um, do all of her medical, mm, I had to be there all of her medical decisions and I had to get her through the hospitalization the starting of the therapy and then she had another stroke and she had to get into palliative care so I had to take care of all of that and then you take care of funerals and then you take care of all the family members who are missing her so that was a little exhausting, but I had the great support of my husband and my children and uh, got helped. through that. But then my last auntie about, mm, I guess it was about six years ago, um, asked me to come help her navigate the hospital's uh, kind of system because she was alone in South Carolina and she had a house and she had a heart condition and she was told that she needed to go into um, care and she didn't want to do anything but be at home. Mm. So I had to set up her house for her to live there uh, in the state she was in. I took care of her for, a. we thought it was going to be about four months. It turned into 18 months. <laughs> And she was quite a fighter. But I had to go through all of the caregiving, having people come in, having people, and not being in South Carolina. I'm in Virginia. So I had to do caregiving through the telephone and trips down there. I did a lot of flying. And then I had to take care of her house afterwards. I became the owner of the house, and I had to sell the house, decide what to do with all the things that she left. And she was quite a collector. (laughs) And that was draining on me. And my husband was not really there for me through all of that. He was very busy doing something else. And 
it was hard on our relationship. Oh, and um, it was a pretty rough time for us after that. But then all of that comes to a head and you decide what's going to happen. And we decided we love each other and want to stay together. That's good. That's great. Oh, that's they, they were able to, yeah, tremendous. Care, caregiving can affect all yes. sorts of different parts of you. Exactly. And we'll definitely use that in our in his caregiving book. He's taking all the celebrities and how they've answered okay. caregiving questions. So that's just a tremendous story. We have so many different ones that have shared that caregiving story. So we want to thank you for that. And visit caregiverdave.com if you want to find info. Now, where, Daphne, Daphne, where can we find the best places? Where can we go for you? Social media and website, all that. Where can we go? All right, website. It's easy. It's DaphneMaxwellReed.com. Don't put a whole lot of letters in Daphne. It's just D-A-P-H-N-E. Leave it alone. <laughs> Maxwell and Reed is R-E-I-D. And Daphne Maxwell Reed has all of the things that I'm involved in. My social is msdaphne13. That's my Instagram page. And uh, that has other pages attached to it as well. But that's where you can find me and find out what's going on and keep up with me. Fabulous. What a great guest, Dave. What a great way to end the week. And what a positive message. And we appreciate all that you do. Keep working so hard. And I cannot wait till we find out when the show premieres. So you have have to follow her and watch her. And I'm sure possibly you could be coming back again to tell us when it finally does air. Because I love your publicist. She's the greatest in the world, Lori DeWall. And I wanted to tell her that. And I, I love working with her. And I've worked with her for about 10 years. Different guests I've had on. So. I appreciate I had Lori back 40 years ago. Holy cow. She is. I was doing television. <laughs> she's, she was fabulous. We did. We talked about it on our part one of our interview. I remember all of that. That's why I tried to ask different questions because I believe everyone goes back to my 6,000 interviews. So, you know, you know, you never know. But I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you for having me back again. You guys have a wonderful weekend. You too. Take care. All right. You're listening right. to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program author, Lori Johnson, author of You Bought What? And that's, I love that, because that kind of says, what direction am I going, Lori? Because am I in trouble now because I went ahead and uh, uh, purchased this huge item? Or You Bought What? That's the best decision possible. They're taking two two different directions from that title. Yeah, absolutely. And the answer depends on like what kind of thought you put into making that purchases and what you're buying it for. That makes it challenging. It makes it challenging for me to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting where you're at in certain ways. So your background's going to help me because the title of the book does not lead me to a direction I could guess and we could have a guessing game or our listeners out there could guess as well listening. But tell me specifically enough your background. So I am a financial consultant for female professionals and solopreneurs. And so what I do is I help them gain the skills that they need to uh, master their finances in their personal life and in their business life. Um, So when I ask them, you bought what? They're like, I did. I bought things that will help improve my life or that will help grow my business. (laughs) 
And you hope they do, right? Because at times yeah. they don't. Fingers crossed, not on wood. Because here's the problem a lot of times. We can buy certain things like, you know, hire the right website guy or hire a social media guy that charges entirely too much money and we don't get any ROI. And then defining that ROI is the hardest thing because I'm going to tell you right now, I invested so much money in my brand, but I'm so happy I did. Meaning it, because it, the, why are you doing, and a lot of it was time, thousands of hours, but it was worth its weight in gold to say to a celebrity, you know, I interview celebrities and tell somebody, you know what, this is who I've interviewed, this is my syndication, all that. But it was a lot of hard work and effort that really didn't pay anything at first. So, you know, it was, it was marketing dollars. So a lot of times people don't understand when you buy something or you invest in something, what really the dividend is for it. You have to kind of define that, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, usually when I'm talking to small business owners, I will tell them, you really need to look at the level of business that you are in and purchase appropriately appropriately for that level. I mean, if you're like a nonprofit, and I don't mean you're a nonprofit because you're like a 503C, I mean you're a nonprofit because you're not making a profit, <laughs> right? <laughs> there are different things that you should be buying than if you were a six-figure business. And so you have to be cognizant of you know, where you are when you start purchasing things, you know. A lot of authors have that problem, the first-time authors that don't really have a product service except their book. And you know you can't make a lot of money in your book unless somehow luck happens. Like you end up, or you have the greatest book possible, become a New York Times best-selling author, or, you know, you have best-selling author and you don't have a lot of, and you were self, let's say self-published, yeah, you're going to be taking, you're going to have a lot of money. But a lot of times you're not going to. So a lot of ways you talk about businesses not making any money at all, and they keep buying. They keep buying this service. They keep buying this service. I have a client of mine that I finally had him just be with me because he was purchasing all these programs that seemed cheap, but none of them did anything for him. So he probably spent thousands of dollars a month, or I mean a year, on programs that didn't reap any rewards at all. Yes. I mean, and, and so that is what the hard part is when you are going into business. You don't know what you don't know, right? And so that's why we have someone like Lori to help us, right? Yes, absolutely. Like, you bought what? I'm like, you know, I can help you figure out what you shouldn't be buying. That's for sure. But what kind of stuff did you buy when you were, I mean, what kind of stuff do you regret buying? Me? Yes. Oh, she's putting me on the, I, I, I want to know. <laughs> I don't have a lot of regrets in business. I think investing in specific companies and trying to do the, trying to sell those companies. I'd say network marketing companies. I, I wish I didn't buy ever. I hate it for anyone out there. that's a network marketer. I'm sorry. I'm just not one. Uh, I invested in so many of their products services because of being a semi celebrity. I'm not a celebrity, but meaning people want me to endorse things. People want me to do things. They put, Oh, you're going to make all this money doing this network marketing company. Well, the money I've spent in product and service and things like that has reaped no benefit at all. Selling somebody else's stuff has not worked for me at all. And I regret buying those products. The watch. So you, you got me now. There was this watch that was out. that's supposed to be the best watch or this best shake or this best thing. And that's just not me. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I in this book, I go into talking about a lot how people really need to look at 
who they are and why they make the decisions that they make. So what you said is just perfect. I specialize in the psychology of money. So it's like, what's behind why you were making those purchases? And your personal finances are the foundation for the decisions that you're making in your business, right? And so you really have to be a very self-aware. Self-aware because I look at it back and this is, this is going to be the one that's going to get me to become a millionaire like that. That's what they teach it. These network marketing companies, you become the best, you're going to be making all this money and that's it. No, if you had the right team, you've really put the effort and you really invest in being a network marketer and fail many times. Yes, you will be successful, but somebody that recruits you right now and you have no experience in it, don't think you're going to thrive in it in a second unless you're just like a lucky person, but it looked like that's the problem I looked at. So I, I look at myself and say, okay, instead of following the road I needed to follow, I was following other get rich quick schemes and lots of entrepreneurs fall into that trap. Yes. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think um, sometimes we go into our businesses and we don't have those basic skills that we need in order to make smart decisions. Right. And so in my book, you bought what, how to create a spending plan that works in chapter eight, I go over the 10 money mastery skills that you need to have in order to make good, sound financial decisions. And, you know, if more small business owners went into those business, their business with that foundation, it would, it would make growing their businesses so much easier, you know? Exactly. So the way I look at what you're, you provide, and this is fantastic, is the fact that when we look at the operation side of a business, you got to run your business like a corporation, even though you might not be a corporation. You need to look at the ins and outs of your operations. You got to look at your everything. But the financial end is probably one of the biggest reasons why businesses fail. They don't look at the financial. They don't look what they spend. They don't look at the money coming in and out. And I'm it's fault my way and that way as well, as my office manager is telling me that today. And they understand these things because guess what? that's keeping you from making the money you need to make. It's keeping you from keeping the doors open and all those things. So they need to hire someone like you, Lori, right? So where can we check it, check you out and find out more info on you? Yes, you can find me at my website, Revision Financial Solutions. It's R-E-V-I-S-I-O-N, revisionfinancialsolutions.com. And you can find my book, You Bought What? How to Create a Spending Plan that Works there as well. Thanks again, Lori, for stopping by. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. All right you're right. You're watching the Neil Haley Show and listening to the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Janet Ickes, you're the author of Money Does Not Send Itself, Spend Itself. Spend itself. <laughs> where did it go? And I would love to know, where did my money go? So, Janet, that's why the expert that we need to have on the program, especially during COVID-19 and these challenges where does our money go and where we, we we don't if we don't stay organized we're in a lot of trouble aren't we absolutely and especially since this whole pandemic thing has hit what is happening is people are stressed out because they have no idea what has been happening with their money it has been crazy and if they didn't have a plan in place it was magnified now so they really have no idea because as you mentioned it, they weren't organized they weren't taking the time to make sure they had a system in place which has caused a lot of havoc, a lot of stress, a lot of frustration. <laughs> and hence, yeah, because if we lose a job, 
and you're exactly. not exactly counting on that. And you didn't you live paycheck to paycheck, but it was okay living paycheck to paycheck because it was a pretty big paycheck. Then what happens if you have no emergency fund or anything exactly. to protect you when the shoe exactly yeah. And that's what's happening. And that's where I like, it doesn't have to be complicated. I was very blessed. I actually had a very solid foundation when it came to money. When I went to buy my first car, my dad made me give me a budget to him before I was allowed to go get it. So I thought everybody understood numbers. And as I started networking, getting out into the business world, I've, you know, I've owned my small business for a long time. And I just automatically tracked it because that's what I needed to do. That's what my dad taught me to do from day one. And too many people are not doing that. So they were stressed out. They were running businesses that they weren't taking a paycheck from because the foundation wasn't in place. And that's kind of where the book came from is money doesn't spend itself. So where did it go? You know, you've got to build that solid financial foundation. And that's what this book helps folks to do. And that's so true. You got to build that solid financial foundation because you never know what's going to happen next. And we I don't. Why? And why can't people live like you, Janet, and teach other people that you do teach other people, but how, why can't we? Why do we understand that we can always put it on a credit card? We always can have a loan. We always can, uh, you know, do whatever we can to buy it now and mm -hmm. we should wait. And that's what makes it so crazy is this, uh, too often it's too easy, especially now, even with Amazon, my goodness, how many people go out and just spend it on that credit card and it shows up on the door and then all of a sudden the bill comes and now you're panicked because you didn't plan ahead for that. I always, you know, even with my son, I have a teenager, no matter if you're using your credit card or not, you need to know what money you're putting on that credit card because that's just the same as cash. It's just a convenience. It is not the end all be all. You can't just keep charging and charging, charging, because then you land in debt. And sometimes that gets confusing. Sometimes it, you know, numbers are confusing, but they don't have to be. And that's what I really want to get, get back to that foundation, get back to the basics, which means you're tracking it, which means that you are taking time out to work on your business, on your personal, because it doesn't matter if you're on personal or if you're in business, they mirror each other. So that foundation needs to be in place in order to do that. So you can answer the question, where did my money go? You can say, okay, I know what I'm going to do when A, B, and C happens, and you know where to start. What about investing in your business, especially if you don't have other people's money, which a lot of people don't have, right? You're they right. do not, and but you have some kind of sales coming in. And if you're proactive with the money that's coming in and investing in your business there, then you're actually able to start planning. Even if it's a dollar here and there, you start slow and you start investing in your business, which is what we need to do, because ultimately that's what you're looking for your business to do, is to be, you should be getting a paycheck from your business if you are in business. <laughs> At least I'm thinking that's why most people get into business. Yeah. I don't think I'm wrong, but you know, in my opinion, I think you probably want to get a paycheck from that. And so when you're at this certain point, it's kind of, sometimes you could be spending not enough to, for yourself to make more money. So, exactly. Your expertise level, you're not just looking at when to invest, but why to invest, right? Because there's times we do need to spend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you want to be smart about what you're investing in your business. And I mean, I'm a firm believer, like a lot of times you may have to invest to get the support you need to be able to run your business effectively. As a solopreneur, I deal with a lot of solopreneurs and they just don't like the numbers or it's challenging for them. So therefore, if you invest in the support to help you, that's always one way to be looking because surround yourself with folks that are going to elevate together 
and be working with it from there. So I think that's also an important thing and always learning and always looking to grow. So it definitely is very important to do that. So your book's broken down into specific ways to speak to the business owner and the personal or somebody that's a business owner and has a personal budget, how they work with both of those budgets. Exactly. One step at a time. I always say, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. <laughs> and that's what I broke it down. I, re I really work through eight specific bites to be able. And that first bite, a lot of times, is actually scheduling some time to work on your business. You know, another bite is simply tracking it. So we take it back to the basics so that the bites are simple and easy to do. Easy may not be the best word, but I guarantee you they are simple. And that's what I really encourage folks to be. Is it can be simple if you're willing to work through the process. Definitely simple to work through that process and how to make things simple is such a, a challenge because, it can be. because you're just like, what can I do next? What am I going to do next? So for myself, uh, looking at, you know, the particulars of investing and looking at, well, how do I spend more time really organizing myself financially in my business and to understand what comes in and comes out? What do you recommend someone like myself doing? The first thing I would recommend is make the commitment and actually schedule yourself, say an hour a week. Actually take that first step, make it an appointment, make it as important as a doctor's appointment and don't miss it. You need to schedule yourself some time to work on your business. So when you do that and you're committed to doing it, then you're actually going to go to the second step, which is getting a system in place to start tracking your numbers. So when you start tracking your income and your expenses, now all of a sudden you can be proactive going forward instead of being reactive, which too many people have been. That's so true. And because you're scheduling that time and that means you, I know we all pay our payroll, we pay our different people. We don't spend time to track what we're spending. Exactly. How we're spending. And, and how much money can you save, but also how can you make sure that you don't run into certain situations like a pandemic that could destroy your business or a slow time for your business if you're not tracking these things. Exactly, and without it, you, you just, you can't grow either. There's no way to grow. You will be, you're, you're cutting yourself short if you don't have that system in place to get that track, because you gotta be looking at it. You've gotta be constantly evaluating, constantly knowing whether you're profitable, because unless you're profitable, the money's not in your pocket. And that's ultimately where you're looking at for it to be. I much assume that most folks would want to increase their profit so it's in their pocket versus going who knows where because they have no idea where their money has gone. And scheduling that hour a week or two hours a week mm -hmm. is very, very important. Until sure. you very. understand it completely, then you can outsource portions of that after that fact, right? But you first Exactly. If you don't understand it, forget about it. It's just not going to exactly. happen. Exactly, exactly. But it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's what I always seem to find is me, I like numbers. Most people do not. But it doesn't have to be complicated. And that's, I think, where I vary so differently when I work with my clients, because we can find ways. I always say, you know, I guess I have accounting background. However, I'll work in a box, but my box does not have to work for because we've got to find a system that's going to work for them because the very best system for the person to track to get everything in line is the one they're going to use. And that is just so important. It's the one they're going to use. All right. So best place we can find information on Janet is where, where can we go? Well, I would encourage, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the book, this is the book, Money Doesn't Spend Itself, so where'd it go? And it's to help you build a solid foundation uh, when it comes to your money. And it can be 
if you just do moneydoesn'tspenditself.com, you'll get more information right to do it. Take all the punctuation out, moneydoesn'tspenditself.com. So I tried to make it very, very simple. And you can get information right there and then branch out and go from there. And also, just looking at there, and I just encourage everyone to take control of their money. And where else in like in the, this book is not just for an entrepreneur, but also a person that's trying to save their, save money. Exactly. The principles are the same. And whether it's in your business or your professional life, that doesn't change because the foundation is the same, whether it is in your personal or business. And that's what we go over is the principles and foundations needed to make sure you have control of your money. So either your business or your personal life are the types of clients you deal with. So you deal with some clients that are just for the personal mm -hmm. and then some that are just business. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Yeah. And very often they tend to be both <laughs> well, <laughs> because absolutely. they mirror and they go together. And I do uh, with all the networking and stuff, working together with a lot of solopreneurs and service-based entrepreneurs that need to get that under control. And that's what we do is we, we put it together for them. We put the puzzle pieces together and I help them to go ahead and move forward with that. Well, Janet, thanks for stopping by and such great information and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to talk with you today. Take care. Thanks again. Bye. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.